be today. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Amen. Just a word of uh, update. So as uh, more and more people are uh, being able to come back into fellowship, uh, those uh, that are vulnerable are getting vaccinated, being able to come back to fellowship and as uh, things start to slowly move back in the right direction, just be reminded that uh, remember uh, when all of this began, those conversations we had about um, just not wanting to be a people. Uh, God doesn't want us to be a people that just pass each other in the hallway, so on and so forth. I'm so grateful for the time that you all get to spend together in community group. That's wonderful. What a blessing. Uh, And we need to prioritize our time together but our ultimate goal is as we continue to do those things and then walk through the word and d group that we'll be uh, we are diligently working to begin uh, building the new fellowship hall that's out going to be out here and uh, so that we'll be able to be together as a family on Wednesday nights be able to eat together as a family every Wednesday night and uh, just a a dream that God has placed in my heart, and I know many of your hearts, would be to be able to come to church every Wednesday night and before service, to be able to sit down at a table with a different uh, group of people in this faith family and be able to enjoy a meal together it would just be such a blessing. So pray that God will uh, get us through this last little bit of red tape so that we can get there. It would be Amazing, and I'm so hopeful for that. All right, let's pray together, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are a a way maker. You, God, you make a way when there's no other way. You're a miracle worker, and we recognize this morning that there's no hurdle or obstacle too great for you. There's no person, circumstance, or situation that your great arm of salvation cannot reach. Lord, we thank you that in the midst of times where we may be troubled or confused or bewildered or even feel defeated, Lord, that you you know and that you've prepared us for that. And one of the beautiful ways you've done that is through your word. You've given us in your word what we need to not just survive, but to thrive. And so this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are willing to receive. Fill us with courage that we need to live out the things that we hear, Lord. Speak into our lives, we pray. We want to hear from you. We've come here to worship you and to hear from you. And we thank you, God. We thank you for this perfect and errant gift that you've given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So part seven of finding ourselves in the gospel. Now just by way of connecting the dots, okay? If you somehow missed last week and haven't gotten a chance to go online and hear that, you need to do that. These sermons fit together very succinctly, and it's important that you have a foundation to build on. Now last week I talked about how At the end of chapter 2, what the Apostle Paul was doing when he was writing this letter to this troubled church at Corinth, 
who was struggling with all sorts of strife and division and, and immorality and so on and so forth. He divided all people into two categories. He made it very clear. We have, we have natural people and we have spiritual people. We have lost people. We have saved people. We have unbelievers and we have believers. And then last week as we moved into the beginning verses of chapter 3, we then transitioned talking about spiritual people that within the group of spiritual people, there are those that are carnal. Remember that conversation? Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal people, as babes in Christ. Now, we've sort of built this whole conversation uh, in recent w- weeks around this reality that, that when you're carnal, what happens is uh, you, you're in Christ, but you're going to Uh, If you don't know who you are, you're going to live like who you were. But when you're spiritual in Christ, then we said you'll know who you are and you'll live like whose you are. And so we've sort of been discussing how the, the the underlying problem in Corinth was they didn't know who they were in Christ. And then all of these things have been sort of uh, coming out of that reality that we've been sort of dealing with together. And then last week I spent a lot of time talking about salvation and about what salvation is and how do you know that you have it and what salvation is not and making it very clear that if you got it, you can't lose it, and if you lose it, you never had it. You remember that conversation? And that's very important now as we move into this next section because We said that you can surrender your life to Jesus. You can have all your sin forgiven. The Lord can be the Lord of your life, seated on the throne of your heart. And there's still battles that rage within us that are yet unfought and things that need to be uh, dealt with in the flesh. And what it means when we're carnal is that we're acting like babies. And what God would say to us is that it's time to grow up. We need to grow up. Now we come to this next section and the question is, well, why should we care? Why should we care? And I worked diligently last week to try to, uh, you know, because I don't exactly know what you're thinking, but I think I know what you're thinking. And I ask God to show me what you're thinking. And so I'm trying to circle the wagon around your logic. And I really worked hard to try to make sure that nobody left last week thinking, because there's a temptation to think, well, hey, you know what? Who cares if I'm carnal? I'm saved. And that's all that matters. And here's why you should care. You get your listening guide out. You should care because God's paying close attention. He's paying close attention. And Paul is going to come around now and introduce some thoughts to us so that we see this the way we ought to see it. 1 Corinthians 3, let's drop down to verse 5. 
A little bit of review, but I want you to see something we saw last week, but I didn't say anything about it. Verse 5, then, uh, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? So there's this, this contention between people following Paul and people following Apollos. But they're just ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now look at verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his reward according to his own labor. What does that mean? It was so hard for me not to dive off into that last week. But I knew I had to wait till today because I couldn't just open a can of worms if we didn't have time to talk through it. Each one will receive his reward. What does that mean? That's a little introduction into where Paul's about to go. And he's saying, you better care. You better you better think it matters because it matters to God and therefore it better matter to us. Now, have you ever wondered? Look at these familiar verses. For example, Matthew chapter 6. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, let's just think about this for a second. What, what is that saying? Lay up treasures in heaven. Well, then, if that's the case, it's not just metaphorical. There's treasure in heaven. Does that mean everyone has treasure in heaven? Well, no, because some people lay it up and some people don't. What about this? Matthew chapter 10. Whoever gives to one of these little ones, that doesn't mean children, that means the disciples. Only a cup of cold water in his name. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his. What reward? Is that saying that you could lose the reward of salvation? Well, of course not. Because we already dealt with that. So then what's the reward? What does that mean? There must be a reward. And, it, and clearly, it's whoever. It's not everyone. It's whoever does. Some do, some don't. What about Revelation 22? The Lord said, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, there's another one. You can't just generalize that. That's a very specific promise. So what does it mean? God's paying close attention. And it's going to mean something. He's not just paying close attention for nothing. Look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a master builder, I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now that's interesting. So what we have here is a description of what is known as the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment that every believer faces. So let's make sure that we're clear. All people face judgment. Everyone faces judgment. People who reject Christ People who are natural people, unsaved people, unbelievers, will face judgment at the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, 22. But the believers, all of us in this room will face judgment. Now, what are we going to face judgment for? Well, we're not going to face judgment for our sin because... Christ already faced that judgment on our behalf. So we will face judgment as what's called the judgment seat of Christ, which is what Paul is referring to here. Uh, here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, Whenever you hear this verse, you should always remember that is a terrible translation of the original language. I have no idea why the English translators translated the word bad. It should not be bad. That is not the word bad. We have two Greek words all through the New Testament that mean bad. That's not the word that's there. The word that's there means worthless. And that's, to me, important. It's a big difference. Because the bad things have been judged. The worthless things are what's going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. So, according to what Paul says here in verse 10 and following, let's talk about it. First of all, all believers are building something. All believers are building something. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Now notice something important. The Bible doesn't say at the end of verse 10, take heed that you build. You understand? That's very important. It doesn't say take heed that you build. It doesn't say make sure that you build. Everyone is building. It says be careful how you build. See, the Bible doesn't say be careful that you worship. Everyone worships. The Bible says be careful who or what you worship. So we're all building. Everyone's building. All believers are building. Now here's here's what Paul's showing us here. We're all building something, and then he uses himself in his example, right? So Paul, he went where there was no existing foundation. He built a foundation, meaning that he went. And he didn't go to places that had churches. He went to places that didn't have churches and planted churches, and therefore he built a foundation there. And that's what he was talking about in all this uh, discussion earlier and up until verse 10. 
And he explains that he was only able to do that by what? By the grace of God. God, in his grace, gifted Paul to do certain things and called Paul to do certain things. And Paul did that, but only by the grace given to him and the strength given to him. So we shouldn't be thinking highly of Paul. But here's the key. Notice what he says. I have laid the foundation. And I want you to to see this now. You know what Paul didn't do? Paul didn't talk about laying the foundation. Paul didn't sit around and have endless discussions about what it would be like to build a foundation. He built a foundation. He did something with it. He acted upon it according to the plan and the design of Christ. Can I tell you something? Baptists, all the Bible studies that you've sat in, I mean, we could stack the Bible study books from here to the moon and back, couldn't we? Sure. All the information that you've received, all the things that you've learned and gleaned, all the sermons that you've heard, when it comes down to all these things that we've learned about God, there's only going to be one question. That's the question. I almost put la, 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 la on there. I literally was going to put that. Six words. What did you do with it? What? What good are all the Bible studies that you've sat in and all the sermons that you've heard and all the things that you've learned, what difference does it make if you didn't do anything with it? Can you imagine Paul saying, man, I sat around and I spent years and I studied the Bible and I went to 50 million Bible studies and I, and I learned about this and I learned about that and blah, 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 blah. And I, but I didn't do anything. Come on. Some of you in this room, you need to seriously ask yourself, what am I doing with what I know? You need to ask yourself that. And I'm the one who's always telling you how important it is to know the things you need to know. So that you can do it. So that you can live it. Not just for the sake of knowing it. You see, all, all that information, you know what all the information is? All the information that you've learned. It's building instructions. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. 
And trust me, you're building something right now. Every believer is building something. And you know, now imagine if, if I have spent years, I've invested years in just studying the manual and the building instructions, and I've spent my whole life building something, ignoring the instructions that I spent my life learning. They're going to be people who spent their whole life reading the directions to something they never put together. And the crazy thing is, the whole time, they think they're fine. And they think that God is somehow just cheering them on like, wow, look at you. You went to church. Yay. Man, you endured Pastor Tony's sermon. Yay. Let each one take heed. How he builds on it. You need to take heed. Now, we're all building. But, but let's just make sure we understand something here. You know why it says let each one? You know why it says it? Because the Bible wants you to understand we don't all build the same. You don't build like me and I don't build like you. You don't build like your spouse. Your spouse doesn't build like you. Your kids don't build like you. You know what? You build. We all build according to the same plan. We have the same architect. But you build according to your giftedness. The Bible says that every person in Christ is gifted. How are you gifted? What's your gift? Hmm? What is it? We're all called to build according to our giftedness, and we're all called to build according to the Master's plan. You see, because here's what you have to understand. How many foundations are there? Look, look at what it says in 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You got that? One foundation. One. So Jesus is the foundation. So the, the, the building plans are the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And what is that? Well, what does the Bible say? Let's, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, in the beginning it was with God. Then in verse 13, so we've got the Word, and now we've got the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. 
How do we study the foundation? The Word. Because the Word is Christ and Christ is the Word. You got that? So we're all building something. All builders are using something. You're using something. See, you're building something. And so, well, what are you building it with? Well, that depends. That depends. And Paul wants us to get to the bottom of that. So here's what Paul's saying. There's one foundation, many materials. You got it? One foundation, many materials. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. So there you go. Now we've got examples of materials. Verse 13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. What day? The day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. One foundation, many materials, everyone's building, and everyone's building with something. So here's the implication of what Paul just said. It is possible, I mean, this, this just kind of freaks me out a little bit. It's possible to have the right foundation and to build the wrong thing. It seems inconceivable, but it's possible. Now, let's understand something, okay? We're all human. Can we agree on that? We're all human. So let me make sure that you understand that because we're human, we're all going to have something burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. Do you understand that? There's nobody who's ever lived, who spent their whole entire life building with the right materials that would make them Jesus. Okay? So you can just kind of, you know, because you're tense. I can see how tense you are. So just take a deep breath. You know what I mean? Whoo, shake it out a little bit. I mean, it's going to get more tense in a minute, so shake it out now. Because, you know what I'm saying? So we're all going to have some stuff burned up. We're all going to lose something. All builders are going to lose something. 
Now, this day, this, the day, this day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, it's about rewards and the loss of rewards. It's not about punishment. There's nothing in this text or anywhere in the Bible that speaks about punitive punishment at the judgment seat of Christ. It's about rewards and the loss of rewards. A multitude of different experiences at the judgment seat of Christ. And so I can just give you three basic uh, ways that people will face the judgment seat of Christ depending on how they built. See, some people, the Bible says, are going to have great reward in heaven. Great reward. And it's important when we think about heaven that we think about not just where we'll be, but who will be there with us. That's important to understand. Because the greatest thing about heaven is who's there. All right? But it is an unbelievable, inconceivably great place. Now, some people in heaven are going to have what the Bible calls great reward. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when you are reviled or people persecute you. They say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, which would make no sense in only an earthly context... For great is your reward in heaven. You see that? Great is your reward in heaven. Now clearly that is not a text that's universally applied to all believers. No way. But it is applied to some. Some will have great reward. And that's just one. I mean there are so many places in scripture we just don't have. Uh, there's no possible way I would have time to go. But you see where I put them all on the back side of your handout. Now, some people are going to have great reward. And you know what? That ought to make you happy. It makes me happy. It should make you happy. And here's why it ought to make you happy. Because we all know people that if we got to heaven and they had the same reward as us, it would somehow it wouldn't really seem right. I'm just being honest. Now listen, if some of you are thinking, now there's some people I know that if I see them in heaven, it's not going to seem right. Now that was sin. You need to repent for that. Okay? You just need to repent because that was wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, a few years ago, I got an opportunity to go to India and uh, teach in a seminary there for a couple weeks and... While I was there, uh, 
one of the things that I experienced was uh, there one day um, we got done and the some pastors really wanted to take me to this uh, little village. And I was a little, you know, I mean, you know, I was in a super... Uh, I was in a super dangerous place, and it was very, there was a lot of Muslim activity there, and, you know, Christian, a lot of Christians die there, and especially uh, American missionaries. I mean, it was just very dangerous, and so when we'd ride in the car, I would have to get down on the floorboard in the back seat and stuff like that, which was fine, but, you know, this extra trip had me a little rattled, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay, Lord, I mean, I'm good. I came here to teach in the seminary, but is this, you know, what I'm, I'm a little struggling with this field trip, you know, in the middle of. So I went, and they took me, it was a long way, and they took me to this place, and I really didn't understand why I was going there. And I get there, and I you know, we're walking through this little place, and, and they wanted me to meet this pastor, and he wasn't around, and, the, the, you know, the church kind of met in his house. He had this little thing behind his house, and so we're looking around, asking where he is, and suddenly we're walking around, and this, they said, oh, there he is, and he's walking, you know, it's just dirt roads, and he's walking down the dirt road, and I mean, this guy is just like, I thought he, you know, was born with, you know, cerebral palsy or something. You know what I mean? I, I mean, that's clearly what it looked like to me. He had some serious physical, you know, challenges. I mean, he couldn't, his arms were crinkled up, and he, I mean, it was, he was having a hard time. And so as he gets up to me, I began to notice, you know, he had short sleeves, and I began to notice, like, he had scars all over him, and so we sat down and we started talking, and then I realized that, that he wasn't, didn't walk that way because he was born that way. He had been beaten to that extent. And so I started, I mean, I was just, I mean, this was a little bitty guy. I mean, he, he was like, you know, just looking up at me like I was a giant compared to him. And, and I was so just amazed by this whole conversation. And, and uh, I was asking him questions, and I said, now, now tell me what, what is going, what happened? And he was repeatedly getting beat, and they were telling him that they were just going to continue to beat him until he renounced Christ and stopped preaching and stopped inviting people to come to his house for Bible study, and he wouldn't do it. And so one day, these two men came and got him, and took him up, and he pointed and showed me the top of the mountain where they took him. And they said they took him up to the top of that mountain. And one held his hands behind his back, and the other one just started beating him. And they were beating him and beating him with sticks. And, you know, and I guess their intention was to kill him. And so I said, well, what happened? I mean, how did you survive? And he said, as they're beating me, I'm, I start just praying. God, you got to help me. you got to help me. And then he, you know, we're talking through a translator, and he says, and God helped me. And now I'm hanging on the edge of my seat like, I'm thinking, lightning came down. Boom, fried him. 
Or like a, a, you know, a giant hawk came down and just ripped their head off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what, what happened? And he said, suddenly the guy who was holding him let go of him and walked around. And they started beating each other until they beat each other unconscious. And I was like, that's better than what I was thinking. <laughs> now, I'm just telling you, if I get to heaven, no, scratch that. When I get to heaven and I see him, me and him ought to not have the same rewards. Mm -mm. Some people, according to the Bible, are going to have great reward. Now, some people are going to forfeit some of their reward. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. There's a great example. Tons of Scripture in the Bible teach this principle. Where, look, there's, there's some of you in the room today. And you, you have the potential, we all have the potential to receive great rewards. But we won't. Because we chose to live our lives here for ourselves and for the acceptance and glory from others instead of from God. We made much of ourselves and not much of God. We did good things for the wrong reason and we forfeit our reward. So we have some that have great reward and some that forfeit some of their reward. And then we have some who forfeit all of their reward. And that's our text from this morning. See, verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. You see, it's possible to be a Christian. And have lived your entire life in such a way that you'll go to heaven and stand before God and receive no commendation for the life that you lived. You go to heaven, but as through fire. It's a, a no-reward life. Imagine an entire life on the right foundation lived for you. Nothing that you invested in lasts for eternity. You're in 
but you have nothing to show. Some builders will lose everything. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is a time of revelation. And that's clear because these are things that we can't see. But they're going to be made known, the Bible says, that Christ is going to examine our lives. And the Bible tells us the way in which he's going to do that, which is, which is wonderful. See, a good father wouldn't just test a child without the child understanding what the test is or even having an opportunity to, to do well on it, would he? No. Mm -mm. Which again is just part of the struggle of this whole doctrine. I just go back to this shocking reality that a whole life can be spent studying the directions and then ignoring them and building a different way. So the Bible says that Christ is going to examine the inward motives of believers based on the things that only He Himself knows. I don't know those about you and you don't know those about me. But remember, we began this by saying, but God's paying close attention. You see, it's not simply a matter of performing good works. You have to understand this. It's more than that. It's, it's good things done with the right motive. See, in the very next chapter, we'll get explanation when Paul's going to say, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. That's just one of about a dozen places the Bible talks about this. That how God desires that we perform good works, that we do good things according to His good plan, motivated by our love for Him and our love for the things that He loves. You see, that's the plan. The directions specifically lay out a building process by which we build according to and motivated by a love for God and a love for the things that He loves. So if you're just trying to figure out how to quantify this, I think it's, it would be easily understood if you just said, well, what God wants is He wants obedience to His commands, obviously, faithfulness to His cause. Because, see, if we're faithful to His cause, then we're faithful to Him and we're faithful to what He loves. But we do so out of 
And, and that's why I'm always saying that the posture, the, the, the way you know you're healthy, the way you know you're growing, the way you know that you're not carnal, is that the posture of your heart towards the things of God are always, you always move to God. You move, you come to church, you read your Bible, you go to D group, you go to community group, you serve God, you, everything you do is in a posture of gratitude. That is the key. The key. You see, when, when you got up to come to church this morning, you had a choice. You, some of you came to church because you had to, and some of you came to church because you get to. And there's a, there is an eternal difference. It's a huge difference to God. And everything you do is gratitude. It's gratitude. So it's going to be a time of revelation. All these things that we can't see are going to be revealed. But it's also going to be a time of reward. And I know this is the part that gets people most confused. So we need to talk about it. It's going to be a time of reward. Now I'm about to shake you all up, okay? Some of you, your, your theology is about to go because you just believe things because you were taught them and you heard them and so you believe them and you really don't know why you believe them and it, it didn't come from the Bible. So, I mean, and obviously I've set you up for this. You already know what's coming. Clearly, Everything I've said so far this morning is true. And it all leads to this undeniable reality that everyone has to face. Heaven is not the same for everyone. It's not the same. That's kind of the reaction I thought I would get. It's not the same. It can't be the same. That wouldn't even make any sense. Now, we've tried to convince ourselves that it's going to be the same because we want it to be the same. But that doesn't make it the same. It's not the same. Revelation 14, 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. See, there's an indication that our works follow us. Here, here's another place that's even maybe a bit clearer. 1 John 2. And now little children abide in Him. Right? So we're talking about believers. Abide in Him. We're not talking about anybody who can't abide. There's people who abide in Him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, here's the thing. What, why would a believer be ashamed at his coming? Why would a saved person be ashamed at his coming? Now, there's some things we got to be sure that we understand here, okay? Because there's two train tracks and you can't cross them. Eternal life is a free gift of faith. Period. Not by works, lest any man could boast. 
Ephesians 2, Titus 3, Revelation 22, period. Eternal life is a free gift by faith. Amen? Okay. But eternal rewards are earned by good works. You got all the text on the back of your handout. 1 Corinthians 3.8, Colossians 3.23, 2 John 8, Revelation 22. It's undeniable. Some of you think that what's going to happen is you're going to receive rewards, but it's just like a ceremonial thing. It really doesn't, I mean, think of how silly this is, but this is what you think because somebody told you this. Yes, you know there's going to be rewards, but then you're just going to give them right back. That's not a reward. That's not how that works. That's not what that text in Revelation is talking about. No, these are eternal rewards. You think Jesus was all these texts through the New Testament where he's promising rewards in heaven and they're really not going to be in heaven because you're just going to get them and give them back so they're not going to be there. Look at you. I can see your faces. You hate this. Too bad. It's in the Bible. See, it's a reward. Do you understand? It's not a... There's certain things that, that make a reward a reward. And there's things that make a reward not a reward. I mean, everything can't just be a reward. And just a simple way to understand it would be for a reward to be a reward, it must reflect the effort of what is being rewarded. Right? In other words, when, if you retire from, from your job that you worked 30 years at, and they give you a $10 gift card to Whataburger, that ain't a reward. It's got to be reflective of what was. And look, all these things that, that God rewards, they're no joke. These aren't little things. See, some of you, this is what you've got to realize. There are people in this room, there's a lot of people in this church that they've given up their family to follow Christ. Their family doesn't speak to them because they follow Christ. There's moms and dads that I know that have forfeited relationship with their children because they follow Christ. You think that's a joke? A reward for that is reflective of the effort that that entails. Think about all the people who have given up material possessions and blessings to build the kingdom of God instead of the 
kingdom of self. Now, they could have, but they didn't. They willfully made the choice to be sacrificially generous. I'm always reminded of these things when I come to these moments where I see it work both ways, a lot of times even in, at funerals. I preach the funeral for people who died, sorrowful for the people who are gathered to say goodbye to them. And what I know and what they know is that their loved one died with a broken heart because they're in rebellion to God and it broke their heart. And their relationship never was or could be what it should have been because the people sitting out there at the funeral, the family, their own children, people that they loved with all their heart, rejected God. And I see it the other way. I've sat with some of you. As somebody you wanted to love passed away. But you, you could never be loved by them because you followed God. And it didn't matter what you did or how hard you tried. It wasn't ever going to work because they weren't interested in having a relationship with someone who was going to be obedient to what God says. That's hard. But you see, the, the problem that we have when we look at the judgment seat of Christ is that we look at it through our broken eyes. Now, I want to remind you something that this whole conversation is in the context of a church filled with strife and competition and envy, right? And so what's it going to be like at the judgment seat of Christ? Hmm. It's going to be like that the day that uh, you know the the science fairs do and I'm loading my kids up, take them to school, and they got their big poster board with all their stuff. And, you know, it's a little, there's a lot of tension in the air, you know, and they've, you know, been up all night and trying to get all this stuff together and making sure the hot glue doesn't give up and something breaks off and this and that and the other. And you pull up in the car rider line and every car is opening and, there and the and and what we're doing as parents is we're we're checking out the competition. We're looking at you know like, you know, and some kids are getting out with their little rinky-dink shoebox thing that you can tell that, you know, they did it themselves and their parents didn't do it and it looks horrible. And then there's always that kid that you know rolls up, has got like the a big rolling cart, you know, because his dad's a scientist and you know. 
and wants his kid to win at everything, so his dad did it. And so the kids all drag their stuff up to the teacher, and the teacher's going to judge them. And he or she's going to judge them, and, and some of them are going to be good, and some of them are going to be bad. And some of them are going to get hung up in the uh, you know, hallway and put on display for everybody to see. But you know the kid that didn't have anybody to help him with it or who waited to the last minute and procrastinated and his isn't very good. His isn't going to be hung up in the hallway. It's not going to be put on display. Unless you feel sad about that. I want you to understand something. That's the glory of God. Listen. When the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus, it means there's no condemnation. So let me explain something to you. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a day of rejoicing and glory. Because on the other side of that seat, listen. All the things that are wrong are going to be made right. You understand? And so what I want you to understand is that when I go through the judgment seat of Christ just like you, praise God, all of the things that I didn't do a good job at are getting burned up. They're getting burned up. They're not getting hung up. They're getting burned up. And that's great. You know why? Because they're not going to be put up on the wall for everybody to see. That's gone. God's going to burn all that away. And the only thing left is going to be what's worthy. And look here. When I see someone else who has more stuff worthy than me, I'm not going to feel condemned because I don't have stuff worthy. No, because there's no competition. There's no, there's no condemnation, competition, no strife, no envy. No, not in heaven. Listen, when you see somebody who has a, a lot of stuff hanging on the wall, it's going to be to the glory of God. And you're going to say, praise the Lord. Look at that because we're all there and no one deserves to be there. And the great thing about it is all the junk, all every bad sermon I preached, everything I said out of anger, everything I should have done and didn't do, every time I disobeyed, it's all getting burned up. And I'm going in with a clean slate. Hopefully there's some things that make it. But here's the deal. The bad stuff's not making it, and that's the best news ever. Ever. Because what you don't want to do you don't want to bring all that with you. Yeah, we want to bring something with us. Sure. But not so that we look better than other people. It's so that Christ looks even better. It's so that he looks even more amazing. Because it's all about him. And so what we do matters. Every day matters. The decision you make matters. Every day makes a difference. Listen, you can't, just, you can't just spend your time building any way you want. Every single day is an opportunity to invest in what matters, to give your life and your heart in the right mind and spirit to what matters for the glory of God. Yes. No believer 
should be dreading the return of our Savior who died for us, who loves us more than we could ever imagine. No. 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 